listening to Law and Gospel Wednesday on this July the 29th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what we've been doing on Wednesdays, we're going through lectures that CFW Walther uh, gave in the 1884s and 1885s on Friday nights to seminary students. He had 25 principles, uh, the first four of them, an explanation of law and gospel, and the last 21 of them, how pastors and others confuse the distinction between law and gospel. We could have gone on the basis of his 25 principles, but some of them are very long. In fact, the one that we're in right now is Thesis 9, and this takes almost one quarter of the lectures. So there was no way we could get it done. We're going instead on the basis of the evening lectures, and we're on number 15, which CFW Walther gave on January the 23rd, 1885. And it's still on the basis of thesis number nine. Let me read that. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you point sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law toward their own prayers and struggles with God and tell them they have to work their way into a state of grace. That is, do not tell them to keep on praying and struggling until they would feel that God has received them into grace. Rather, point them toward the Word and the sacraments. Now, as is Walther's custom, he always begins each evening lecture with a little introduction. And this one is about how that thesis was being used improperly by the Roman Catholics at the time of the Reformation. He begins that the papists, and this is really important that he always says papists, because many Roman Catholics do not believe or don't are not even aware of, say, the rulings of the Council of Trent, that people who believe as Lutherans, Presbyterians, and Baptists that were saved by grace through faith, that we need to be anathematized from the church. Most Roman Catholics don't believe that. But the papacy, and that's where the Antichrist is found, he taught that. And as C.F.W. Walther says, even godly persons do not enter heaven immediately after death. They pass through what the papists call purgatory. That is where they claim the dead are purified for sins for which they had not made full atonement here on earth. It's important to remember that every time you do a sin on earth, you've got to kind of make up for it in Roman Catholic theology. And if 
you don't make up for it here on earth, then you have to go to purgatory to be purged of those sins. And therefore, what purgatory teaches is that even a sincere Christian cannot be assured in the present life that he is in the state of grace with God, that he has received the forgiveness of sins and will go to heaven. In fact, not long ago, uh, a pope died, and they still weren't sure that he was in heaven. Therefore, he wasn't a saint, and you could not pray to him. Now, they finally gave him that blessedness, saying he is a saint, but there was a process that had to go through. And part of the process is that you need to pray to someone who's dead, and if two miracles occur, that shows that they are now in heaven. Now, this doctrine of the Antichrist, Walter points out, is really what the vast majority of nominal Lutherans also believe. What does he mean by that? Well, we don't, as nominal Lutherans, believe in purgatory, but many nominal Lutherans, and a nominal Lutheran is someone who has come to the faith, not been instructed properly by their pastor, and they have no assurance that they are going to be going to heaven at the moment of their death. The good news, which is the gospel, is in constant doubt. But Holy Scripture says, faith is having a sure confidence regarding things hoped for and not doubting things unseen. That's from Hebrews 11, verse 1. And Walther is using Luther's German translation here to indicate that verse. And then he has many other verses to help you with assurance. Does God not say, this is John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Or John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if the papists, the, the Pope's doctrine of purgatory were true, who, Walther says, could gather the strength to follow after holiness if there was any doubt whether the heavenly goal would ever be reached? People would be without assurance. Unquestionably, this doctrine of doubt is the most horrible error into which a Christian can fall. Why? Walter says it puts Christ, his redemption, and the entire gospel to shame. So what is the root cause of this error? Guess what Walter says? It's nothing else than the mingling of law 
bring people to salvation. You simply call them to believe and apply the belief of the gospel to them. Never to question the truth of this heavenly message of grace. Like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes will never perish. He also says you can then get them to receive baptism for the remission of their sins. And he has three examples from Holy Scripture where first was preached the law and then came the gospel. The first example is when 3,000 were converted at the first festival of Pentecost by the preaching of the Apostle Peter. The second example is the conversion of the jailer at Philippi, who was ready to commit suicide when he thought that the prisoners had escaped, but had heard the hymns of the apostles, asked what can happen that he can be saved, and at his home he and his whole family were baptized. And the final example he gives is the marvelous conversion of the Apostle Paul, which Paul talks about again and again. He then goes into how it is incorrect to tell alarmed sinners to observe all kinds of rules for their behavior, to tell them all the things they have to do, They must pray, they must wrestle, they must struggle. Until when? Until they hear a mysterious voice in their hearts, your sins are forgiven. And unfortunately, as Walter has pointed out in previous evenings, this is the approach for conversion that the Reformed sects and their followers use. Uh, You can hear this on television again and again. You'll have a a Baptist church talking about, would you like to be saved? Then simply say this prayer. And the prayer is, uh, God, I'm a terrible sinner. I believe in the forgiveness of sins that you are to give to me. Therefore, please come into my heart and convert me. Now, Walter points out this began by a group called Pietists. There was a time when the Lutheran Church, he said, had kind of fallen asleep because of rationalism. And people were trying to give reason as the way that you should understand the Bible, rather than letting Scripture interpret Scripture. The Pietists came to the rescue. And while some Lutheran churches adopted the approach of the Reformed, others began to follow the example of a man named Dr. Johann Philip Fresenius, F-R-E-S-E-N-I-U-S. He lived from 1705 to 1761 died about 100 years before Walther is giving this lecture. 
you may have been tuning into Law and Gospel Thursdays when I and Wes Reimnitz have been talking about worship nightmares. A worship nightmare is a form of worship that is a nightmare to God himself because it contradicts his word. We pointed out sometimes it occurs in hymns. We also pointed out it often occurs in the interpretation and application of parables. Uh, This week we're going to take another part of the liturgy, namely the confession of sin and the so-called absolutions that are worship nightmares. Well, Fresenius was a senior of the group of pastors at Frankfurt on the main. He was really a most excellent man, questionably a sincere Christian, pious author of many beautiful devotional writings, and he wrote against the Papists, the Jesuits, and the Hearn Hutters. Who are the Hearn Hutters? They were Moravians who had taken residence on the estate of Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And he was looked up to by a number of people. And therefore, when Fresenius spoke out against him and attacked him, well, he was placed under a crowd of controversy. Now, one of his most popular works is his book on Confession and Communion, published in 1745. And there were many errors in this. Now, why is Walther talking about this? Well, when I was at the seminary and heard the name C.F.W. Walther, I always had a good impression of C.F.W. Walther. You'll recall he became the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He was also the president of Concordia Seminary. He wrote excellent documents, uh, many of them, for example, on predestination. At that time, other Lutherans disagreed with us, but after Walter had finished writing the documents and spoken about them, most Lutherans came to a proper understanding of predestination. So why is Walter talking so much about this Fresenius? Well, he had a sad personal experience with his writings. He was not an outspoken unbeliever. Now, this is Walter's own point. After all, my parents were believers. But he had left home at the age of eight, and all of my peers and most of my professors had only a faint trace of faith. They were nominal. He said when he entered university, he didn't even know the Ten Commandments by heart. He could not recite the books in the Bible. His knowledge of the Bible was pitiful. And then he says, I did not have the smallest idea of what true faith was. Now, this is C.F.W. Walther. He thanks his older brother 
who got him to join a society of converted students and was introduced to this circle of Christians. What really attracted Walther to these students wasn't so much their word of God, which was good, but how they treated one another. You've got to remember that in that day, students were very, very rebellious. There was occasions when the police had to be called in uh, to stop the disruption of students because they did not like the professors they had. Paul makes the point that by being with these Christian students, he became deeply grounded in Christian faith. It took nearly a year and a half. But then he was reading this book by Fresenius. And the more he read in the book, the more uncertain he became as to whether he was really a Christian. An increasing darkness settled on my soul as I turned less and less to the sweetness of the gospel. Finally, there was a man who helped him out of this. He doesn't mention his name, but it was Martin Stephan. And at that time, Martin Stephan was really a good, wonderful Christian and, and knew distinctions between law and gospel. Walther doesn't mention his name because when Stephan came over with the other Lutherans escaping the Prussian Union, he ended up having a sexual encounter with a woman, and he was removed from the Lutheran society. He went and lived in Illinois. Well, what Frenzenius does in this book that Walter was reading, he divided all communicants into nine different classes. One was unworthy communicants. Two were people who sincerely seek grace, but who have obtained no assurance. People, three, are assured of their state of grace, especially spiritual infants or weak beginners. Number four, new or young Christians or people who have attained some strength of faith. Number five, experienced Christians or spiritual parents of other believers. Six, Christians who suffer from great spiritual afflictions. Seven, people who rejoice in God. Eight, people who have fallen from God's grace. And nine, people who are in a state of distress. Now, why did reading this book move Walther to doubt his Christianity? Because Fresenius says, Everything depends on three rules that the sinner must observe. The first rule is to pray for grace. The second is be watchful lest you use, lose grace. And the third is meditate upon the word of God in a proper manner. So the first one is the person desiring the grace of conversion must pray for it. Now, now listen to Walther's response to that. As if an unconverted person could seriously pray 
for conversion. The whole plan of this book makes conversion depend on man's own efforts to obtain grace. And so therefore, he points out a number of errors that he did not see when he first read this book. For example, Fresenius says, when you go into a room, speak to God in private, kneel, and with all your mighty cry, cry out for grace, that God would forgive your sins. This is terrible, that crying toward God until he gives grace. Why would an unbeliever, Walther says, cry toward God for grace if he is an unbeliever? And he pointed out that this false teacher speaks of converted people as if they still had to be converted. No matter how good the intention he might have had when he wrote the book, Walter says what he writes is awful. Even though he speaks about the merits of Christ, he directs man to his own works, by which nothing will ever be achieved. Fresenius says you should offer this prayer until you have a feeling of grace. But grace is not something for which you must look in your own heart. Grace is from the heart of God. There, There's a problem with these false teachers is they use the same word with different meanings. For even Roman Catholics today, as well as many of the Reformed, grace is a substance that God gives you that you can therefore work on to obtain conversion. But the true meaning of grace is God's attitude towards Christians. Walter points out, before a person is a Christian, they are spiritually dead. They cannot see spiritually, hear spiritually, or feel spiritually. As if people who are dead in their sins were able to do anything by their own power. And he says, this desire for grace is never a power that is given to a person for the purpose of achieving grace by using it. Where do you find any of this in Scripture? Nowhere. So he really got caught up in this. And he himself says that he failed to understand the true meaning of Scripture. This is C.F.W. Walther. Here's a statement he makes is very helpful. If people are serious about wanting to be converted, they are already converted. Only true Christians are worried about the state of their conversion. The second rule is that people need to be on guard that the grace that God has conferred on them, they now have. That's the second rule. And therefore, Fresenius makes the mistake of putting sanctification prior to justification. Sanctification is the response of a Christian. 
And he says that you must obtain this grace by requesting it. Walter points out, a person is either of the devil or a child of God. He's either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. Either in a state of grace with God or under his wrath, there is no middle ground. The third rule is the word of God must be meditated on in the proper manner. Now, that's really sad because many Lutherans, as we pointed out with parables, do not understand often the application of the parable. But that's why we go to church. That's why we call preachers who understand law and gospel. Because we need to understand that behind the preacher, God is standing himself. The problem with Fresenius is that all these things should be done by people who have yet to be converted. And that's what Walter was under for a while, until Stefan helped him to see the proper understanding of law and gospel. Fresenius ends up, anyone who puts these true rules into practice with the utmost sincerity will, in a short period of time, become a different person. And the grace of God will work in him so powerfully that he will discover in himself more and more clearly the marks of a new creature in Christ. Walter has one question. Where do we find a vice like this in the Bible? So that's his evening lecture, number 16, where he confesses the many faults he had. Next week, the 16th evening lecture, Tomorrow, Rumination Thursday. Good morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.